You are listening to a Big MX Radio podcast, brought to you by Fly Racing, presented by W Wheels, X-Brand Goggles, Tech One Designs, Shades of Grey Custom Helmet Painting, Transcanda Motorsports, Rhino Power Sports Supplements, Westside Honda, Roy Borton Suspension Systems, Watts Perfections, and Golden Tire. Motocross and Supercross news from around the globe. We're not experts, but we've got a microphone. Check us out on the web at www.bigmxradio.com. And now, here's your host, Brad Gebhardt. All right, welcome to the Big MX Show, brought to you by X Brand Goggles and Fly Racing. Those are our two biggest sponsors, and just want to give those guys a huge shout out before we get going. On today's show, we've got none other than Ryan Lockhart. That's right, the noof. You may have heard him on the uh, Pulp MX podcast. Now we got him on the Big MX show. He's done the Canadian Moto Show. The guy does a lot of podcasts. Let's be honest, he's probably been on the radio with Ryan Gall before. Nevertheless, we wanted to sit down with Ryan. For about an hour and 15 minutes, just pick his brain about a couple of things because the guy's got knowledge, all things moto. moto. So without further ado, with us on the line is the Noof himself. He's from Nova Scotia. He's called the Noof. He happens to be a BC legend. He got that championship as well as he is the two-time reigning king of the Dash for Cash. Ryan Lockhart, how's it going on? How's it going on, brother? Hey, thanks for having me on, Brad. Appreciate the uh, appreciate the phone call. I'm looking forward to talking some moto here for the next little bit. Not uh, not too bad, not too bad. Cold day here in Manitoba, but how about that intro? Yeah, no, no, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, like I said, good to good to be on. Uh, obviously, uh, out here in BC, not quite as cold as uh, Manitoba, I'm sure, but um you know raining like always <laughs> yeah no uh we had a, a good 10 days of kind of some uh drizzly cold not like kind of z- right around zero and i gotta say uh, i'd much prefer my minus 30 to to, to zero and drizzly but uh it's, it's all good here and uh as we approach uh christmas coming up in uh, about six days now hopefully you've got all your christmas shopping done and uh first of all i wanted uh, to congratulate you uh, recently on uh, getting engaged as uh, we are talking on your fiance's cell phone. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Uh, yeah, big day for me and Randy. Obviously, uh, a month or so ago now, time, is, uh, time has flown by. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Obviously, uh, you know, a big day in anybody's life when they're popping the question, so, so to say. But uh, yeah, thanks a lot. And obviously, yeah, we are on her her cell phone right now. I don't get service for whatever reason at my house. I'm on Rogers and she's on TELUS. So uh, thank, thank God she's around because uh, if not, I wouldn't be able to do these at my house. Excellent. Yeah, you'd have to uh, head out to the local uh, Tim Hortons and, uh, and, and, and log on to their free Wi-Fi. Um, exactly. First of all, uh, you are a, a huge uh, involvement in, uh, in Atlas Brace. Uh, Atlas Brace, of course, a Canadian company. Brady Sharon uh, and his, his father uh, make doing huge contributions to the development of that brace. I know it was uh, it was a, a brace that was long since in the making. Uh, something that's close to your heart. Something that you wear on a, a weekly basis. Uh, so tell us a little about how you got connected with uh, Atlas Brace. Of course, you competed with Brady uh, as your careers kind of intersected quite a, quite a bit. But uh, what's your position? What's your history with Atlas Brace? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, obviously that's my, uh, that's my full-time job is being the brand manager at, at Atlas Brace, but, uh, to, to rewind it a little bit, my, my history with the Sharons go way back into, uh, the early two thousands. Um, I met, uh, I met Rick and Brady out, uh, when I was out here kind of privateering it doing, uh, the arena cross series, which I always did every winter time. And, and obviously Brady's, uh, Brady's five years, four or five years younger than me. So, um, <clears throat> just one day randomly out of the blue back in like 2003, I believe, or 2004, uh, Rick, his dad said, Hey, why don't you come stay, stay at our house? And, you know, you and Brady can go riding and you can use our box van and, and whatever. So I took him up on the offer, obviously, as I was, uh, you know, always searching for places to stay and whatnot and ended up hitting it off really good with them. And I uh, ended up spending about, uh, oh, I would say five, six winters in a row staying at the Sharon house and riding with Brady and training and, and all that good stuff. And which that led into a, you know, a, a relationship with, uh, with Rick at the time who he was running six, six, one. And I used to, uh, I used to work at in the warehouse and stuff, you know, during the week when, when there was no racing going on. So, uh, doing that as a little bit of a side job as well as racing. And then, uh, you know, obviously, I went on to continue to race and and back east and and stuff like that. And uh, you know, Rick always told me, hey, you know, when you're when you decide that you're done racing, you know, make sure you know you keep in touch and uh, you know, hopefully, we have a job for you when that time rolls around. And sure enough, it kind of all worked out, and I ended up getting hurt pretty bad in 2009, and uh, took a few years off and ended up moving out here to the west coast to work at a, a bike shop in Kamloops. Um, worked there for a little bit and then moved down to the coast because that's where most of my friends were from, from doing arena cross over the years. And, uh, right. at the time, uh, Brady and Brad McLean started Atlas Brace and I kind of just rolled right into a, right into a full-time position. So, uh, couldn't have worked out any better on that end. Awfully nice to have, uh, some good friends in high places. Uh, and obviously, uh, it was, it would have been a, a phenomenal atmosphere for yourself to, uh, grow up racing and training with Brady as the two of you are out on the, uh, the far, far west coast where the, the temperatures don't go, it get quite as cold. Uh, you're able to, uh, uh, train almost year round, uh, unless there's, uh, obviously some, sometimes you get some pretty, uh, pretty gnarly temperatures and also some rain. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh. As far as uh, like a, the, the two of you are five years apart, you'd mentioned that you're five years older, yet uh, still active, still uh, still lining up on a professional gate from time to time. Uh, uh, what allowed you to have the longevity to uh, continue long past uh, your, your good friend's riding career? Yeah, you know, I guess it's just something, uh, I, you know, it's hard to pinpoint one thing. I mean, my passion for the sport is uh, is huge. I mean, I, I, I think about racing all the time and I mean, I'm involved in it, whether, whether I'm racing, uh, racing or not, I'm, I'm always at the races watching or I'm following results and I know what's going on in the industry and stuff. And, you know, I think that, you know, everybody's a little bit different. I mean, as far as Brady goes, I mean, his, uh, his passion kind of burnt out. He had a bunch of big injuries and, yeah. and he decided that, uh, you know, you know what, man, I don't want to put myself through this through this anymore and I mean he had a, had a great successful career too with Supercross and, and whatnot but uh, I just can't seem to get enough for whatever reason I just uh, I keep uh, you know getting older and it, it's getting tougher for me to keep in shape and stuff and I I'm a believer in setting goals and I like to set realistic goals for myself and, and achieve them you know such as this year with doing a couple nationals and being competitive still you know in and around the top 10 and and that's what keeps me going is my hobby 
um, you know, as well as my passion. So I think that's, uh, you know, other people, you know, they drift off. Obviously Brady's passion was, was Atlas Brace and he's done a, you know, a heck of a job with it. And, you know, as much as I love going to work every day, I still, <laughs> I still love racing. And I wish that, uh, you know, if my career was, you know, a lot younger back in the day, I, I, I didn't set these realistic goals for myself. And I was always, uh, I wasn't enjoying it as much as I do now. For sure. Well, uh, obviously, the the bikes have definitely improved. You yourself uh, uh, tackling uh, the the very brand new uh, four strokes at the early portion of the two thousand. I believe you were on uh, uh, Diablo Hondas, if I'm if I'm mistaken, or were you maybe on uh, machine No, no. First first year I was on four strokes, uh, like on two fifty S, would have been uh, Blair Morgan Yamaha back okay. in two thousand. Right. But I dabbled in the four-stroke a little bit on a privateer, uh, Toys for Big Boys Honda in 2001, 2002, when the, when the Honda 450 That's first number 16. came out. So, uh, I was number 16 then, yeah. That's it was right. 2000, okay. uh, 2002. 2002. And, and how, how does a, a carbureted uh, pig like that compare to the, <laughs> uh, uh, the lightning-fast 450 that you currently ride? It's a Kawasaki, I believe. Oh man, it's not even, uh, it's so funny. Like when I think back on it, it was, uh, even though those bikes were, were good back then, but I can't believe the difference, you know, technology has changed. You know, I tell all my friends and stuff that I'm like, honestly, I go faster now than I ever have. I, I'm faster now on the bike than I was back in 2002. Um, for simply one reason, my talent hasn't gotten any better or my, my skill hasn't. It's yeah. the bikes. The bikes make you that much better of a rider, and it's uh, it's it's incredible how effortless it takes to to ride these new these new four strokes. I mean, um, you, you know, you can come out of a corner in second gear and jump a uh, hundred feet in second gear. It's 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 crazy. Um, where before, you know, back <laughs> on the older bikes, I mean, even back to two strokes on a one twenty five, this stuff wasn't even doable. You know, a lot of the time, what the stuff we're doing now, so. The bikes have just—it's—it's it's crazy, man. I can't even imagine in another ten years uh, where where these things are going to go. But uh, I mean, it's—it's it's insane with the technology that these new bikes have. For sure, uh, crazy fast and uh, and stable in those conditions. I know myself. Uh, I've got a pair of. Uh mid 2000s uh, Kawasaki two strokes I'm sure you've seen pictures uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> beautiful bikes but uh, they're they're starting to get a little bit outdated um, and uh, the fact that I, I've, I've jumped on a 2013 kx 250f and the thing stopped on a dime uh, the back end just soaked everything up uh, for those who are contemplating getting a brand new motorcycle I know you got to be a great proponent for that 2015 uh, Kawasaki, but they're all great bikes, aren't they? They are, honestly, like anything, right from a KTM to a Honda, Yamaha, Suzuki, <clears throat> Kawasaki, obviously. But uh, they're all good bikes now. I mean, there's not one bike out there that's not uh, that's not good. And you know, you know, another thing to touch on with the with the bikes being so good now, and I, I I hate to ever pinpoint a reason for all these serious injuries in our sport these days, but uh, I believe that you know the bikes are so good that. You know, your weekend warrior guy that, that rides once or twice a month can get on these things and they, they honestly, they feel invincible because yep, of the really. amount, of amount of power they have. And, and, you know, you can jump these jumps and it's not like the old two-stroke days where it actually took a lot of skill to be able to, you know, get from point A to point B over a 65-foot double. Yeah, 
Totally. Yeah. Navigating Grunthal in 2001 on a two-stroke, very much different, especially on a 125 two-stroke, very much different than a 250F, which uh, sure. I actually won a $20 bet on being able to do every single jump on that track now in second gear on a 250F. And I'm pretty sure the finish line <laughs> is just outside 80 feet. So, um, yeah, like I said, it, like, it's completely different. I think you probably wanted to relate that back to the fact that now uh, your weekend warrior can get himself in a pretty bad situation rather quickly, uh, and that's where the Atlas Brace comes in. Well, for sure, absolutely, and, that, and that you're 100% right. I mean, like, uh, you know, it's corner speed is not, you know, not important anymore to get over the double. It's just a matter of putting the bike straight and, and turning the gas, which which anybody can do on these bikes, but that still doesn't mean that you have the, <laughs> have the skill when, by the time you get to the top of the lip to get to the other side. So it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but in, you know, at the same time, I mean, the bikes are good and people enjoy riding them. So, uh, it's all good. For sure. No, uh, I'd love to give you a couple of seconds now, uh, or you can take as much time as you want. This is your podcast, uh, for, uh, uh to, to stand on your soapbox for Atlas Brace, uh, for those who aren't uh, aren't knowledgeable, I myself do not wear a neck brace. I, I wore a uh, an, the Alpine Star One for a very short period of time, uh, as well as a Liette for an even shorter period of time. Uh, always felt like I couldn't look up the track as much as uh, when I'm free, uh, so I um, basically gone away from them, and, and t since then, uh, never really had the budget to, to try a different one. So um, um, if, if someone's going to go to an Atlas brace, or if someone's going to go to a neck brace, why should they choose Atlas? What type of features and benefits do you guys bring to the table that the other ones are missing out on? Yeah, for sure. No, you know, the, the, the thing is with even myself, I mean, back in 2006 when uh, 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 Lee at first came out with, you know, their brace, it made a huge impact on sport. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't even get your hands on one. They, these things were flying off the shelf so fast. And sure. I, I, for one, was, was wearing one. I, I needed to have this brace and I felt safer and everything. And I put it on. I'm like, okay, now I feel safe. But you know, I rode with it for a little bit. I took it off. I'm like, man, I can't, I can't wear this thing. I felt, felt restricted and stuff. And then, then obviously then Alpine Star came out and needed to have one of those and got the same thing, took it off after two or three weeks and, uh, you know, went with no neck brace for, uh, you know, three or four years. Then all of a sudden, you know, Brady came out with this thing and I helped him do a little bit of the testing and stuff. And, you know, it's, uh, the Atlas is, you know, it is a neck brace. Um, obviously that was what we got to call it, but, it is much, much different than the rest of the neck protection in the market. I mean, our whole structure of the brace, obviously, with the dual back supports and the dual front supports, uh, with the split frame in the back, everything flexes and moves. And that's very important with any piece of equipment that you, uh, that you wear on a motorcycle. I mean, you want to feel comfortable and you don't want to feel restricted. And, I mean, the, the Atlas is low profile, but yet still the same safety aspect with all the flex um, and movability built into it. Uh, super light, obviously. Our new 2015 brace is just, it's badass. We just actually got them in stock today at the warehouse. Made much improvements uh, over last year um, and even the year before. You know, it's, it's, it's always a refreshing sign when we, uh, when we see, you know, guys coming to us, top AMA pros coming to us and wanting to wear our product. Um, you know, Liat's new brace on the market too. I mean, the new 5.5 Liat, great brace. They've made great improvements to it. But what has hurt the neck brace market in general 
um, is that, you know, Leah came out with this thing and they had no competition for the longest time. So they kept their brace the same, which was rigid, heavy, and very restrictive. Um, and then all of a sudden now there's competition and they've improved their, improved their brace dramatically. Um, you know, it's very similar. <laughs> it looks similar to ours now, but, uh, that's, that's another story. But, uh, um, honestly, when we look at our, our list of guys this year, you know, we've got obviously Villapoto in Europe, we got Jason Anderson, Dean Wilson, Martin Davalos, um, and a list of, you know, many other privateer guys using it. So, uh, obviously we're doing something right and moving in the right direction for the future. For sure. Like, it's one of those things where I find a lot of guys have gone away from neck braces altogether, but those who do tend to pick Atlas because uh, it is that, that brace that allows you to be as free as possible, yet still uh, providing that extra protection, which uh, for those are who have, of us who uh, motocross is not our bread and butter, uh, you want to be able to go to work on Monday. And I know for myself, uh, like I was wearing a, a, a Alpine star neck brace, mm-hmm. happened to go, uh, um, head over heels in a, a rhythm section in, uh, Morden, Manitoba. I'm not sure if you remember, but there's that, yep. uh, as you come up the hill, uh, I believe you guys were going three, three back in 2011. Yep. Uh, yep. well, I, went, I know exactly. Yeah. I was going two, two, two up that hill on, uh, I, 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 I took out my 125 for the very first time in like three years i told myself don't try that rhythm section you don't need to try that rhythm <laughs> section uh but after a couple of laps of relearning how to make that thing scream I'm like all right we got this thing in our back pocket on a 250f there's no way we're gonna have a problem with it ended up coughing on the second double and piling myself into the third uh and ended up going yeah i landed right on my head and uh i ended up walking away from it with a dislocated shoulder, but uh, nevertheless, um, I got to feel like, if, if anything, that allowed me to go to work the very next day, and uh, I don't know what uh, what you make per day, but as a bricklayer, uh, we're pretty much <laughs> mirroring, mirroring the price of a brand new neck brace, so if your neck brace allows you to even go to work for one or two days, has it paid for itself? No, for sure. And, and you know, the, the touch on a couple of things you said there, the, the, t- the toughest part is, is that, you know, all these, uh, everybody, you know, pretty much in, in our industry has tried a neck brace and now they've stopped. Um, obviously some haven't stopped, but, uh, the hardest part is to get them to try it again because they think it's just like every other brace on the market. So unfortunately, even though Liat, you know, started the, uh, the gateway for neck, neck braces, um, they also really hurt the market with not putting any, uh, you know, any technology, new technology into their, into their testing and stuff. And, right. and, uh, you know, the braces nowadays aren't restrictive like they were. And, and, you know, with, uh, with the Atlas, you know, our, our price point is very good. I mean, 299, uh, gets you our, our, not our highest end brace, but it gets you our, our same brace that Dean Wilson's wearing in Supercross this year. I mean, none of our guys are wearing carbon, uh, right now, just for the simple fact we don't have any, but, uh, our new plastic brace is lighter than our current carbon and lighter than all the other carbons on the market uh, right now. So two ninety nine, um, yeah, you know what, quite a bit of money, but uh, you know, you can't put a price on uh, going to work on Monday and, and walking for the rest of your life. 
For sure, yeah. If that's the difference, I'm thinking uh, more more people would be at least willing to uh, to give it a shot because, uh, like, like you said, you can't put a price on your overall safety. Uh, but let's get back into uh, the noof. Let's talk a little bit about you, man. You've plugged uh, uh, Atlas enough. Uh, I'm sure we'll get uh, Brady on at some point. I know I promised I'd get that guy on, so uh, maybe yep. over the holidays or something we can uh, we can pick his brain. But uh, let's talk about the BC legend at a. Nova Scotia, he's called the Noof. Um, what makes this guy so special? What makes uh, what's allowed you to uh, um, just embrace this sport? Uh, what about Canadian motocross has embraced you back, allowed you to uh, out, etch out a little niche niche for yourself uh, in this uh, this sport here in Canada? Yeah, well, it's kind of crazy, you know. I've been uh, I've been around for a long time. I mean, thirty years old now, but I've been racing the nationals since. Uh, since I was 15 was my first full season of doing it. And, uh, yeah, so I've been, uh, been at her a long time. It's, uh, it's been a great, uh, a great road. Obviously it's led me to where, where I'm sitting right now. I mean, if it wasn't for racing, who knows, uh, who knows what I would have been doing, but, um, you know, the sport's been great to me and, and it seems like everybody knows me. I mean, I have a very outgoing personality sometimes throughout my career. It was probably maybe a little bit too, too outgoing and, was never the guy to take every, anything uh, overly serious and always was there for a good time at the after party, which uh, which obviously creates some stories over the years. Yeah, but, you've got a history um, of losing your shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't, uh, we've gone through a few shirts in our in our day, but uh, past that now, I'm not in quite as good a shape as I used to be. So I don't, uh, I don't, taking the shirt off is not my go-to, uh, go-to trick anymore. <laughs> but uh, no, just, uh, you know, just being around. I mean, I was always the one that, like I said, you know, in our opening there, I just love racing. I was, uh, whether I was in Ontario one weekend or BC the next or down in Colorado doing arena cross or just kind of been everywhere doing it and, you know, couldn't imagine life any other way. For sure. Uh, it's one of those things that, I'm, in my opinion, never truly leaves you. Uh, and for any number of reasons, you end up having to stop, whether it uh, now you're taking care of kids, uh, a job that doesn't allow you to dedicate the amount of time necessary for you to feel safe out there on the track, uh, or uh, financially just not viable for you to, to, to be competitive and, and, and make it out to the track on a regular weekend. But uh, in, in my opinion, uh, it's something that always stays in a racer's heart, and especially those who it, it grabs you a certain way uh, with motocross. It's uh, it's something that I myself have dealt with. Uh, like I said, you probably can imagine countless shoulder issues. Uh, both shoulders popped uh, a good 15 times each uh, MCL tear <laughs> even this summer. Uh, and thanks to uh, the Canadian government, I now have CTI2, CTI2 knee braces for free. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a sport that, um, it's, if, if it grabs you the right way, it'll be, it'll give you count or endless joy for the rest of your life. And, uh, I think that's something that you can connect with. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, it's a tough road. I, you know, back in 2000, uh, 2008, I won the, won the Canadian arena cross championship, uh, just wrapped that up, headed down to California you know, everything was great and getting ready for the outdoor season and ended up uh, crashing at Glen Helen, uh, shattered my, shattered my kneecap, uh, you know, tore my, tore everything. It was just a disaster and, uh, you know, haunted me big time for three years, had a total of six surgeries on my, my right knee and, uh, infections and just a disaster. I mean, that's what put the, you know, biggest damper on my, my whole racing was, was that, but at the same time, you know, it was obviously, 
<clears throat> I was maybe holding on to, you know, I was getting a little bit older then, you know, that was uh, five, six, seven years ago, five, six years ago now. And, you know, I wasn't making a whole lot of money and, you know, it was time to, uh, you know, it was a bit of a wake up call once that yeah. injury happened and it took me that long to heal and, you know, brought me back to reality and said, man, I need to get a job. I never really had a solid job or anything like that. And, uh, you know, obviously brought me to where I'm at. And I think, I think what happened back in that day in at Glen Helen is what, uh, you know, has made me love the sport so much. Now I pay for pretty much everything. Um, I go to the races, I, you know, paying for my, flipping my own bill, you know, at the end of the day. And, <clears throat> you know, it makes you appreciate things a lot, uh, a lot more. For sure. I can't, couldn't agree more. Uh, when you put it in perspective, it's like, as, as I grew up, my, my dad footed the bill a lot for myself, uh, at the track. And then, uh, uh once like, which is basically why I ride two strokes, to be honest, is that they're yeah. still the bikes that are around for me to spin laps on. And, uh, um, uh, once you're, you're getting yourself to the track and, and, uh, and all that fun stuff, you really start to value all of those laps that you, that you're able to, uh, to spin and, and especially going through injuries, uh, um, us as racers, we start to miss this sport extremely fast as soon as it gets pulled away from us. And uh, I got to imagine uh, you probably had some pretty pretty dark dark days as far as dealing with a knee like that. I can't even imagine like a shoulder is one of those things where she pops back in and within a couple of weeks she feels okay. Uh, or at least maybe you feel like you can race eight days later, but you shouldn't because it'll pop out again. Um, but... Um, yeah, like for yourself, you you you're you're a guy who had to dig deep a lot of times throughout his career, uh, and and through that ended up creating a love for the sport, which uh, in a lot of ways I feel like you're trying to give back now and uh, and be a good example for those uh, young Canadian racers coming up. Uh, obviously, you're you're the brand uh, specialist for Atlas, and uh, being a Canadian company, I think, is a really powerful thing for a lot of these kids to look up to. Yeah, no, I I agree, and you know. Um, you know, rewinding back in time, I mean, you know, my, my parents gave me every, you know, possible avenue that I could, that could have to succeed in the sport. And, you know, I wasn't mature enough to take full advantage of it, but Hey, you know what I, I learned and, you know, like I said, you know, flipping the bill and, and making racing fun again. And, you know, even though I'm not racing at the level I was at back, you know, 10 years ago, but, you know, I still race pretty much every weekend, uh, throughout the summer and obviously doing arena cross and, you know, I, I do it. I do it in a way that I make it affordable for myself. I mean, I don't, uh, I don't make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and, and whatever, but, um, you know, I, I live in a nice house and I drive myself to the races and I, I do it affordable. Would it be nice to have, you know, a big motorhome and, and a trailer and, and two bikes and, and all this stuff to, to go, but that would be awesome. But at the end of the day, it's not affordable and it's, it's something I've been trying to get off my chest for a while and just waiting for the right time to do it. But it's so frustrating seeing all these families um, drop out of racing because they can't afford to do it anymore. And it's a shame, but at the same time, those families are the ones that have the, you know, $150,000 motorhome and the 40 foot trailer and three or four bikes. And they got suspension and motors and all this stuff done to take themselves right out of the game. And like you and I talked about, these motorcycles nowadays are so good. You don't need to put all this money into them and you don't need race gas and you don't need all this stuff. It's like, just find the love for the sport. If you love racing, make it work and, and show up on the weekend and, and do what you love. 
For sure. Uh, like put that in perspective. I spoke with uh, one of the mechanics from the 3BR race team, uh, Rob Tapia. Uh, if you're not probably familiar with Tevin Tapia, as he's been yep. uh, very active all along the West Coast there. And uh, he had remarked to me that last year, Tevin Tapia's bike, the very same one that uh, Ivan Tedesco got tangled up in, uh, they make that engine do everything it needs to do for Supercross on a budget of $250. I believe I believe it, man. You don't need to do anything to this to these bikes nowadays. They're that good, but that's that's impressive and refreshing to hear because you know then you got uh, a, a guy that's uh, not near the caliper of Tevin, and and they're spending five grand on a on a motor that uh, is a ticking time bomb and ready to explode at any minute. Exactly. For sure. So uh, let's get into your racing this, uh, and the, the most uh, recent of your racing. Of course, you are a BC legend. You're the BC Legends champion. You've, I'm sure, been sporting that jacket everywhere you go. It's got tons of benefits to it. Uh, I believe coffee's cheaper. Uh, air smells better in that jacket. Uh, I, I believe that you get uh, like random hugs from uh, BC people all over. They just recognize that jacket and they embrace you. Uh, tell us a little bit about becoming a being a BC legend and uh, taking down that championship. As I understand that it's uh, uh, it's a pay class rather than the vet class. Yeah, well, you pretty much get everything right, man. It's changed my <laughs> changed my life. So, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's kind of funny because <clears throat> during arena cross. I, uh, since I only have the 450, I'm only, uh, eligible to ride the open pro class. So, um, it leaves me with a lot of downtime uh, and stuff. And I also teach the arena cross schools in the morning <clears throat> before each event to get back to the kids. So I'm at the track all day. Um, so I decided, well, Hey, if I'm here, I might as well race and get some extra track time. So I ride the, uh, BC legends class, which, uh, quote unquote is the vet master, uh, plus 30 classes have a special name for it. Uh, cool. <clears throat> special name for it here but that's cool it's always good to go out there and, and ride it was actually real cool about the last round in Chilliwack uh Kyle Beaton just started riding again I'm sure everybody knows uh knows Katie Kyle and, and uh great to see him uh, out there by the way for sure no I literally remember him that. turning pro like that very first year that he was on 125 Yamahas and I think that by yep. then the 250Fs were out and stuff like that so he was kind of like the one kid that's still on a two-stroke and like he was like skinny and short and yeah. I, I think he was like 14 15 years old and like i think that thing probably popped on him four or five times all kinds of bike problems but all i remember is small and fast yeah no that's beats beats a little uh little fireball back in his younger younger days obviously he's a little bit of a bigger fireball now but uh um, yeah, no, it was cool. So get to race with him at the last round and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's cool. Like I said, it's, uh, it's not the most competitive class, but hey, it's just another, uh, another way for me to race and to, yeah. to keep going. I mean, <clears throat> the pro guys all laugh at me, like Moff and Byron, those guys are like, you're out there riding in the amateur class. I'm like, dude, I'm just out there riding. Yeah. It's like, uh, track it's time. And, so, uh, uh I gotta say oh. that it probably gave you a leg up on the dash for gas spin and those extra laps, my friend. It did, it did, because the, the main event's always uh, right before the, the BC Legends main event's always right before the dash, so, uh, you know, at my age too, man, you got to keep moving and stuff, and you can't be sitting around and stuff, and uh, I like to keep going on the keep going on the race day, the, the longer I sit around, the more, uh, le the least amount of motivation that I get, so, um, I like to keep going and stuff, so it's, uh, it's cool, and I did get a fancy jacket, so that's always, uh, that's always fun too. 
Solid. Well, uh, obviously the uh, the future West Canadian national or Canadian Arena Cross Championship is not something that's super new. I think it's changed hands a couple of times, but uh, mm-hmm. they've been doing these races for uh, tw- almost better part of twenty years, uh, if not yep. longer. And uh, I think that is one of the reasons why guys like Brady and and uh, uh, Kyle and even uh, Dusty Clatt were able to cultivate indoor skills that you could use on the national stage, which is incredible. But also for yourself. Uh, coming over there and, and spending the winters doing that and and, uh, and getting better in the uh, the indoor stuff. Uh, first of all, give us a little bit of a, a, a sense of the atmosphere of that series, as well as how you feel like your uh, your series went. Yeah, no, the, the well, the funny story. I've been doing the Future West races for 15 years. Uh, I started in 2000 out here. It was the first time that I that I rode wow. one. So that's I get a little bit of experience, but uh, on the 450. Uh, no, no, I was on a 125 <laughs> back good. then. So <laughs> that but, is the uh, the optimal yeah. machine for a little uh, the 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 friendly confines of a hockey rink. Uh, just I, I so like everyone the, knows, I like, I like the 450 indoors actually, but uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So like I said, 15 years uh, been going on, but uh, the the whole app obviously it's changed hands a few times, but. Uh, finally, I think it's in the hands of the right people. I mean, this year was a huge gain as far as the whole atmosphere, rider turnout, uh, trophies, all that, the, the opening show, everything like that was on point this year. I mean, it uh, definitely made some big improvements over the last couple of years. It kind of gone a little bit stale uh, with anything. You know, people get burnt out and tired. But, uh, you know, this year was awesome. I mean, 20-plus uh, pros at all the races, so obviously qualifiers, uh, huge purse money for the pros. I mean, obviously that's why we see more and more American guys coming up here every year. Uh, I mean, there's there's good money to be made. I mean, if sure. you're winning, uh, if you're winning, you're walking away with three to four grand a weekend, which is uh, which is insane money when you look at the little amount of work at time. I guess you could say uh, hey. that has to be has to be put out, right? Last time I checked, that's about two thousand dollars an hour. <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> Yeah, we Not figured out travel, an hour, but close. <laughs> yeah, it's about an hour, hour and a half worth of work uh, a weekend, really, when you put it all in with the practices, qualifiers, and all that, uh, all that jazz. So, um, pretty, pretty good money. But, uh, but yeah, the atmosphere was good. I mean, my series this year, um, you know, I worked pretty hard in the off season, obviously, with riding the outdoors and stuff. You know, with big hopes of coming in and and just having fun. And I, I did have fun throughout the series, but it, it was tough. I mean, it was competitive. Um, I got better as the series went on and which is weird. Normally I, I start out good and kind of lose motivation as it goes on, but, uh, I finished, ended up finishing sixth in the, uh, in the open pro class, which was good. If you look at the names around me, never sure. did get to the po never did get to the podium. I did get a podium last year, which was awesome. And I, I had a podium, uh, you know, I had one wrapped up on Friday night of the last Chilliwack and I fully fell apart and ended up sixth. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I'm I'm a lot older than the guys I'm racing with, so I always uh, try to keep that into perspective. But uh, overall, it was good. And then obviously winning the dashes. I, I won three three of those races uh, this year, which was tough. A lot more guys rode them uh, rather than last year. So uh, I know that my, my one-lap sprints are, are good, and those are easy to practice for. So uh, i got to definitely be proud of myself for that accomplishment. 
Oh yeah, for for sure. Not to uh, toot your horn too loudly, but uh, for a guy who's basically the only guy in the inside the top ten who's not a young up and coming twenty something or fifteen year old who's making totally. this his main deal, uh, hung hanging in there with the kids and uh, and also taking the, that uh, dash for cash uh, championship away from them uh, got to feel good. Uh, also in some familiar territory, uh, I got to imagine a series like that you've been doing for fifteen years. Not unlike the, the the Manitoba series that I go to all the time, uh, there isn't a face that I don't know. There's not a friendly person that wouldn't loan me uh, a, a jug of gas if I've forgotten, or uh, totally mm-hmm. left my boots at home, buddy. What can I help you out? Like it's uh, it's a real family atmosphere sort of thing. I'm sure you see some familiar faces. Uh, of course, uh, you had one new one with uh, the seven double deuce, someone that I've had on the show a couple of times. Uh, but, um, yeah, for the most part, I got to imagine that it's, uh, pretty, pretty much a, f- a home we feel for you. So oh, absolutely. I mean, I, uh, you know, I've been out here, you know, full time now living in BC for three years and, you know, the, I know all the kids and stuff like that. And it's, uh, it's fun. I mean, this is home for me now and it's always, uh, it's always great. And everybody's always pulling for me cause I, I play the old guy card quite often. So that's yeah. always, uh, that's always fun, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm training uh, Kyle Beaton, you know, our good buddy there. He's running a little training facility over at his house, um, KBRMX Training, and he's training all the kids, the young and up-and-coming kids, the juniors and the intermediates. So I'm over there busting my old ass with these kids, so they all get a kick out of it because I don't move nearly as fast as them, and I don't, uh, I'm not quite as agile on my feet as they are, but, uh, you know, and then they, they see me out there mixing it up with the best of the best. So it's always a pretty, uh, pretty cool feeling. Cause they, they really don't know how I do it. Cause, uh, I, I'm, I'm a little bit weak in the gym, gym these days. Hey, yeah, well, you, you don't need the, the, the endurance of a motocross racer to slam down those, uh, those quick laps. I got to ask, no. uh, have you always been a, uh, a good starter? Because uh, I know we talk, you talked a little bit about your strategy on uh, the btosports.com Pulp Max podcast show uh, with Steve Mathis. Uh, you, Galdi, uh, kind of broke down the series with Steve. And I, I know I heard you mention that you had a strategy, strategy but I got to imagine it comes down to quite a bit of start. Uh, so starting with those starts, uh, like, is that something you've always been good at as well as uh, uh, can you give us any clues to what that strategy is in case, uh, unless you don't want to give it out, uh, knowing that Ross Johnson's probably tuning in. <laughs> to be honest with you, I was just uh, I was just giving Mathis the runaround on the on the pulp show there. For sure, there is zero there is zero strategy really. Obviously, the start is <laughs> uh, is the key, but it's kind of funny because um, even when I used to come out here in my younger years, there was always a dash of cash, and it's it's sign anybody can sign up for it really. And I never used to sign up because I was never ever throughout my whole career that one lap guy that could throw down I was always a consistent good racer guy that took me you know 10-15 laps to kind of you know pick my way through and and make it happen and then last year uh, at the first round in Chilliwack um, I never signed up for the first night I'm like I'm not riding the dash or cash man I'm not going to go out there and get smashed and and you know beat around and stuff like that and then the second the second night I'm like you know I might as well try what's the what's the worst that's going to happen and I ended up winning the the first night. It was like fourteen hundred and thirty five dollars. I won the. I beat everybody straight up, fair and square, and it was easy. I'm like, wow, geez, this is this is different, you know. Uh, I can. Do I didn't this think that I had. For the rest I didn't of my think life. that I had the. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't think I had the one lap speed in me, but uh, obviously uh, my speed is is just as good, if not better, than it ever was. And uh, the endurance isn't there anymore. So. 
honestly, this year, last year, I won a lot of the races by, by my starts. For whatever reason, my starts were on point last year. This year, my starts were terrible. Like, I, I don't know what was up with them, but, uh, you know, there was, there was a couple uh, dashes that I won this year when in the second round it was like me and Teddy Mare and I didn't pull the start and I'm like I'm going over the the fir- through the first corner I'm like this is probably over and somehow ended up weaseling my way through and getting by him in the last corner and stuff so my strategy of pulling the whole shot that totally went out the window because I barely pulled any any whole shots in the in the dashes this year so it's just about luck and and just just pinning it for one lap for sure. Like, I gotta imagine, like, I've never been in that situation, but I know, uh, if you're in a one lap scenario, I like to more or less thinking of it as, uh, ride your own ride. Like, there's being defensive to a point because you don't want to leave a door open. Uh, but mm-hmm. as soon as you really start to worry about that person right behind you, you almost back yourself up to be right in yeah. front of them. If you just focus on beating them by five seconds, there's no way they're gonna have that that the the bite the 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 ability to make that quick move on you uh, if you're that far ahead. So uh, yeah, I guess for any of those kids coming up, if they're looking for some tips on how to just uh, not only throw down that fast lap, but obviously that's something that a lot of kids work on now is those sprint races that especially in the 80 class, it's a short race. Yeah, you want to yep. be able to get out front and be out front early. Is just to worry about your own deal and and get out there and pin it. Yeah, well, it's funny that you say that about being defensive because that's what the the hardest thing is when you do whole shot the dashes. You well, I I don't personally, but it seemed like everybody else gets defensive and they're waiting for you to to come in on them real hot. Well, that's not the case. I mean, anytime I pull the whole shot, I literally just throw down as hard as I can possibly throw down for the the thirty five seconds that that it is, and normally that will get you you know a good enough lead to be able to win, but. It was cool a couple times this year when I was behind, you know, you get these guys, they're looking over and they're looking over to the right and they're left. And it's like, it made it easy because all of a sudden you just come in and then as soon as you pass them, you don't be defensive and you, you check out. So, um, hopefully these guys don't figure it out next year or I'm in big trouble. <laughs> no kidding. You want to be able to hold that crown. Is that two years in a row now? Yeah, two two years. I won it last year and then uh, it came down to the final final round final night this year with me and teddy teddy had i had three wins and teddy had two and i ended up getting put out in the second round of the the saturday night and teddy went to the final and he didn't he didn't win so we would have had to have a face-off if he had won that one but uh, i ended up uh, the seven deuce deuce came to my rescue and uh, ended up winning the last one so i was safe Fair enough, a seven double deuce. Uh, quickly touch on him before we move on to some other topics. Uh, a, a guy who obviously, uh, Steve Mathis, um, very uncommon for him. He actually built up some hype between two riders. This is completely <laughs> out of his character. He's never done this totally. before in his entire life. He chose to uh, take the seven double deuce and his personality and basically pit him against uh, Ryan Lockhart uh, as uh, a battle of all battles, and uh, like I said, very unbeknownst uh, to uh, to to yourself. Of course, you're up in Canada, just minding your own business, while Steve Mathis stirs the cauldron, uh, getting things all uh, revved up for once the gate drops. And uh, as for for all those uh, who were really looking forward to quite some battle, um, although he was a step ahead of you for the most part, uh, I got to think that uh, the Seven Double Deuce is leaving the Canadian series uh, with a tad bit of humble pie in his back pocket. Yeah, no, for sure. It's pretty funny that Mathis built that up. I had literally never met uh, never met Adam before until... 
the first round in Armstrong this year. So I didn't really know quite what to think. I didn't know if this guy was going to be uh, coming for my coming for my leg in the first corner or what, because Mathis had it all built up. But uh, yeah. no, it's cool. He was great to have uh, have in the series. I mean, he was he was good. I mean, in the in the longer races, he was definitely better than <laughs> better than me. But uh, you know, he finished fifth in points. I finished sixth. It was actually close. Came right down to the end. He only beat me by six points for fifth or something like that I did last weekend but uh yeah. yeah no it was cool I mean it was good to have him up here I mean he's obviously a personality and uh it was uh he was pretty pretty stoked to be a part of it obviously you know he's a super cross guy but up here he's uh you know he's a down there he's a a, a small fish in a big pond but up here it was the, the opposite and he was always in the opening ceremonies and stuff so he uh he got a pretty good kick out of that so it was uh it was cool to have him part of the series Oh, Adam is uh, ec- ecstatic if a, a fan will have him sign a, a Subway rapper. So I can only imagine if he all of a sudden <laughs> became uh, one of the main attractions. Like, uh, I had him on. I'm, I don't know if you've listened to that podcast. Probably not, but it's pure comedy. Um, it was possibly the easiest uh, interview of course, what I've ever done other than maybe this one because I feel like we've got something really cool going on here. But nevertheless, like, I could literally ask Adam and be like, so Adam, how do you think about stuff? And he'd be like bro stuff is so sick like you don't even know like what that's exactly how like, we talk like i'm like okay adam that's that's awesome uh so it's just like it was yeah it was, it was just really natural you can you can take that kid through anything i think he's uh if he can harness that and, and actually start to get some decent results down uh, down in the states uh he's got a, a winning combination but uh um I gotta gotta congratulate you on your championships, both uh, the uh, the BC legend, which uh, like obviously uh, it was a great way for you to get some extra track time, as well as uh, just if, like that's a paying class, that's kind of making the sport um, closer to free for you, is what I kind of equate it to. Very similar <laughs> to when I do my announcing during the day uh, here at the Manitoba series, uh, they pay me a nominal fee to come to the track, which basically offsets all of my costs for coming to the races. So that's how I can just by continuing to come to the track and not only was the bc legends uh, cool it also gave mathis something to uh, tweet about for a couple hours because he got a big kick out of the bc legends and uh obviously the the championship jacket and yes. how i'm from nova, nova scotia but i'm a bc legend so yeah he was wondering where the likes were of al dick and all those uh all those guys from back in his day right no kidding yeah uh, well i like i, I gotta imagine like there's there's tons of uh like there's probably a, a petition going around to have you barred from the class for next year <laughs> like you're not going to be able yeah. to to defend your title uh you're gonna have to somehow uh well i think you're you're marrying into bc now are you not yeah that's true so i'm uh i will be a, a legal resident uh here sooner than later perfect so you'll, you'll have your green card to uh to be a bc legend exactly. and that's uh just adding to the legi- legitimacy of your championship and of course the dash for cash uh if i was to if you're going to win any of the championships you would either be uh the the open or the dash which i'm pretty sure those the 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 money in the end of them it doesn't it's probably not too far off no, well, for sure, and, and to be honest with you, the uh, the Dash for Cash Championship is way less work than the Open Championship would have been for me to <laughs> would have been for me to achieve. So, hey, it's like I said on Saturday night, we're all around having a few drinks and stuff, and I said, hey, man, there was three three pro championships uh, champions crowned tonight. You know, Teddy Mare in the lights, Ross Johnson in the Open, and the Newf in the Dash for Cash. So, uh, you know, of all the guys, there there was only three championships, and I got one of them. So I'm stoked. 
That's solid. And uh, just before we flip over to the, uh, um, the our next thing on our docket, uh, I wanted to bring up that uh, a, a rather heated exchange on a social media outlet that was um, just possibly, yeah, it was, I think it was on the Monday or maybe it was mm-hmm. uh, the week after um, the championship went down. Uh, uh, guaranteed MX, of course, your good friend Ryan Gold Instagrammed a picture of, I believe it was Ross, getting all kinds of sideways over the finish line jump. And uh, Teddy <laughs> took uh, upon himself to, uh, maybe he saw that post and got a little upset, little uh, maybe said something, uh, maybe he wishes he hadn't at this point, but uh, nevertheless, he went ahead and said that uh, he had to um, get get a little bit of help to ensure that he'd win that championship. Uh, How did you feel about that whole exchange? Um, how much laughter ensued from that? And uh, what are your whole thoughts? There wasn't so much laughter. There was more suspense of who was going to charm in next on that uh, on that Instagram okay. post. But um, honestly, I, that was that was sad. A little bit sad for for the sport that that had to come down to that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Ross did, or sorry, Ross earned that championship. Yeah, uh, he, he earned it. He won. He had the most points. He won the most races in that class for sure. Um, there was obviously some emotions flowing big time. You know, there was, uh, you know, quote unquote, some insurance policies floating around and Teddy's, uh, Teddy's pit. So there was some big money, big money on the line. And, you know, Teddy had a, a bad main event in Armstrong. He DNF'd him and Moffenbeier went down and I hate to say it, but that in arena cross in a short series, I mean, it was, yep. it was over from Armstrong. I mean, he, Teddy was fighting, climbing uphill and, Ross was so solid that Teddy couldn't gain big points on him. And, you know, it came down, you know, to that, to that Friday night in Chilliwack and yeah, Teddy, Teddy did get screwed a little bit. I mean, he uh, didn't pull a good start. Uh, He ended up, you know, being six or seventh, which in arena cross is not a good start by any means. And uh, he ended up running into or having a run in with one of Ross's buddies uh, who was also battling for a podium position in that race that night. Um, and Teddy got cleaned out. Um, I like Teddy. He's a great racer. Was he the fastest guy in that class? Probably, you know, night in and night out, but he didn't make it happen. And, and by saying that he had, that Ross had help, I mean, we're all racers, man. I, I, there was no help. Ross, there was no, there was no exchange of words of help in, in my mind anyways. Um, it, it sucks that it went down that way, but I mean, if Teddy had got a good start and got out front with Ross, exactly. there would never have been. There wouldn't have been any issue. It would have been the end of story. So yeah, if he um, had gotten the whole shot checked out, see you later, buddy. Uh, there would have been no issues whatsoever. And uh, like even exactly. going back to uh, one of my posts earlier this week uh, of uh, Ricky Carmichael racing 2001, I'm pretty sure uh, that was when you were kind of like first making your your big splash as a pro. And if you yep. you remember that year, who was the fastest guy in a 125 in the states lot uh, that summer? Well, it would have been Ricky, obviously. Well, Ricky was on a 252 oh, stroke he was at the on time. Two, oh, well, he, he dropped down to help out uh, Mike Brown to win the championship, who was fighting with fastest man in the world on a 125 at that point, Grant Langston. Uh, Grant who, Langston, that's right, okay. Right, so... Um, this is not something that's new to motocross. The whole let no. Brock buy thing. There's all kinds of uh, stories of, of, of guys who uh, get a little bit of team tactics, whether it be uh, back in 2005 
uh, when Ivan Tedesco got some help from uh, his two, <laughs> the pro circuit guys kind of ganged up on Alessi a little bit. And then there was that whole thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, like I said, if you're able to just jump out front, do your race. And uh, of course, minimize those massive mistakes like uh, Armstrong. Like if Armstrong never yeah. happened, we're not talking about this. So no. um, yeah, I think that like, he could, like his bed was made before the weekend started and he needed a nearly perfect weekend for things to go his way. And yeah, like he's got kids at home and you, and you want things to go your way because there's a lot of money on the line, but uh, that's racing. And um, uh, it unfortunately got pretty ugly on, on Instagram, but uh uh, nevertheless, I think uh, those guys, they can probably bury the hatchet over uh, uh, one or ten beers, and um, all good. <laughs> there, is, there is one good thing that came out of it in my mind. Perfect. What is it? The, the one good thing was that finally we see a little bit of passion, uh, you know, people fighting for some, you know, for what they, for what they want, you know. I agree. Normally, you know, every, everybody's so buddy-buddy nowadays. Oh, well, I lost a championship. I didn't need that, that 15 or 20 grand, but good to see a little bit of passion you know inside of teddy and also inside of ross to fight back and say hey man no this isn't how i feel and it's just unfortunate that it goes down on social media but uh you know both great guys and both fast but uh you know hopefully hopefully uh round two happens next year for sure i i, I imagine both will be back and full force and uh fighting it out and i'm sure there'll be no love lost and uh as much as uh those guys uh will fight tooth and nail for that championship uh i think it's it's good for the sport to have a competition like that because uh to have like if if teddy was to say oh like screw it then i won't come back next year i don't need that mm-hmm. hassle i don't need it then you just have like then really do you have much reason for Ross to come back up, right? Because he's like, well, no, exactly. it's not even much of a championship anymore, or it's not even, there isn't as much competition. I'd rather be more challenged to prepare me for German Supercross if I go race more races down in uh, the States, where I know even yourself on an off weekend between rounds uh, went down and, and did a uh, arena cross. What spawned that, yep. and uh, what was the reason for you to uh, constantly p- be pursuing this, these indoor events? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, in my mind, my my whole my whole theory or strategy over the years was the best practice is racing, and I mean, I I love to race, and I also like to make some money too, because when you're when you're racing and making money, that allows you to go to the uh, go to the next round. I remember one time out here in like 2006 or 2007, I was out here doing arena cross, and I did really good. I wasn't in it for the championship because I missed one of the rounds. I did really good at Chilliwack one weekend. I made a whole bunch of money, and there was a, a Chilliwack the following weekend. I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to drive to is when Buku Arena Cross Series was going on. I said, yeah. screw it. I'm driving to Col- I'm going to drive to Colorado. Great pairing uh, series. It's about it's about uh, 20 hours from here. Drove to Colorado and raced Buku uh, the same weekend when I could have stayed up here and made made you know another thousand or two thousand bucks but i i always wanted to you know race in different places and 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 see how i could do i mean it uh to race against the best guys was always gratifying uh for myself to to get good results so i mean uh wasn't taking anything away from this series but uh, i could have stayed here and, and finished on the podium but instead i said well i got the money to do it so let's go challenge myself and 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 see what happens Fair enough, as well as uh, I'd probably imagine that Buku puts on a better after party than Chilliwack. <laughs> they, there was a pretty good after party. Uh, those were the years of Josh DeMuth and guys yeah. like that. So it was a, it was a, it was a pretty, uh, pretty crazy time in Colorado. 
For sure. And of course, yeah, you, you would have uh, come through the ranks uh, just behind, maybe four, three or four years behind uh, a guy like Darcy Lange, who, uh, a BC boy, a BC legend, if you will, who's uh, no longer mm-hmm. racing, but an arena cross specialist to the stars. That guy was, uh, he was Tyler Bowers before Tyler Bowers was Tyler Bowers, man. Like, uh, I remember that guy totally. was on my wall. Uh, I think I actually I had a number 16, uh, uh, Ryan Lockhart on, on my wall as a kid. And uh, nice. uh, do, do you still talk to Darcy at all? I do, yeah. No, I see Darcy quite often. I mean, we uh, we were, he's a year older than me, but kind of we started doing the Nationals kind of around the same time and kind of, kind of, yeah, yeah, 98. I only did one or two rounds in 98. He, I think he did the whole series in 98. But, yeah, uh, on a Richmond um, in Kawasaki. Exactly, exactly. Yep. No, no, you're right. You got O'Neill gear. O'Neill gear. That's right. <laughs> hey, no, I know no, no, no fender stickers, no nothing. I remember that was the weirdest nothing. thing about those bikes. All those things lined up and uh, literally nothing but uh, number, number plates. But anyway, uh, Yeah, on. no, exactly, but... Yeah, no, Darcy. I mean, obviously had an outstanding career. I mean, uh, I believe I believe that the foundation is built, uh, you know, from these races, from this arena cross here. I mean, arena cross has been going on here since the since the late '80s. I mean, if you uh, if I name name ten guys: Kyle Beaton, Darcy Lange, uh, Dusty Clatt, uh, Brady Sharon, Kyle Beaton, Colton Fasciati, uh, all unbelievable indoor. Riders. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised but, if Ryan Villapoto himself may have uh, gone uh, north of the border to uh, steal a win away from uh, either, uh, at the time it would have been either Colt or uh, Katie Beats. No, it was Beats. Villapoto used to come up to Chilliwack. Uh, not often, but he did more than one round up here. So sure. uh, I think that was back in uh, early, early 2000 era. So uh yeah, he's been here. I mean, that's uh, that's the thing. It's uh, it's insane with the amount of indoor talent. And I mean, even uh, nowadays, I look at these kids uh, in the junior classes and stuff. And I mean, they got some serious indoor skill. You know, compared to the rest of the country, uh, there's 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 nothing going on. No, so, we don't even ride I mean, dirt bikes in Manitoba. Exactly, exactly. So you guys are snowmobiling at this time of year. So mm-hmm. um, you know, it makes makes perfect sense i mean if you're serious about racing and dude you got to keep you got to keep going you can't take three four or five months off throughout the throughout the year all right guys all right guys it's time for a commercial let's start off with tech one designs tech one design is the one-stop shop for everything custom when it comes to motocross or lifestyle in general They've got apparel, t-shirts, both pit shirts and just casual shirts, graphics, over 24 semi-custom designs, obviously you can do a full custom kit yourself, two special editions and 19 different backgrounds to choose from. Tech One Designs has been doing this for a number of years, since 2010, been doing unbelievable graphics, you name it. Phone wraps, helmet wraps, neck brace decal wraps, anything custom, they can make it happen. And uh, they've been doing so for quite some time. Um, hit them up at techonedesigns.com or email jamie at techonedesigns.com to get started today. If there's one item to be picky about, it's choosing the right helmet. I'm Andrew Short, and I choose the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. 
You too can wear the exact same helmet I wear, Trey Kennard wears, Jimmy Albertson wears, and many others. The F2 Carbon is a helmet loaded with details that make a huge difference in comfort and safety. Lightweight materials, phenomenal airflow, and a super comfortable sweat-absorbing liner and generous eye port design to accommodate any goggle choice are just a few. And did I mention how super trick these helmets look? Straight off the shelf and onto the racetrack. If you are looking for one amazing helmet, look no further than the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. For more information about Fly Helmets and other products from Fly Racing, visit them on the web at flyracing.com. Make your way down to Westside Honda Polaris and check out the brand new Honda Grom. Honda's revolutionary 125cc fuel-injected mini-moto ultimate weapon. A must-see for all motocross enthusiasts. From the Grom to the usual suspects like the CBR600RR, CRF450R, Westside Honda Polaris of Selkirk, Manitoba has you covered. Check them out on the web at westsidehonda.ca. Call toll-free at one 482 7782 Boom! Westside! What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. X-Racing Man. But more than box, what Big Jeff likes is a fat bowl. Amigos with bran. Fat bowl. Amigos with bran. Oats for power. Brands for speed. Who that tastes, what a delicious treat. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. So, what do you think of Rich Taylor? Lighter than air and stronger than steel. So what that means is it can move much faster. 2014 X-Brand Goggles is back and better than ever. From the Scatter X, Volcano, and Phantom Goggle, X-Brand has the product to make you stand out on race day. The quality of X-Brand products is second to none. Great lenses, incredible frame, and a strap that doesn't wear out. Great tear-offs, zip-off systems, nose guard, and more. Check out eksbrand.com for all of the accessories and pricing. What's up guys? It's time to talk a little bit about Roy Borden Race. He's the performance specialist. Suspension, making a motor work, balancing a bike, or just maintenance. He's got the tools and know-how to make sure that your bike is ready on race day or practice. Roy Borden has strength in years of experience and the best technology and best tools at his disposal. Whether you're getting your forks redone, seals, or a full, full-blown rebuild on your forks or, or shock. Call up Roy Borton today at 204-633-2722. Now, um, 
tons of great info on the series. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of guys that uh, are hearing this and they're going to make some trips out and uh, be, be challenging you for that dash for cash for next year. But one of the things that I wanted to get off, uh, uh, get talking to, uh, to you about before I let you off, because we had almost, almost had you for an hour already. Um, but uh, this, this whole thing with James Stewart uh, getting uh, his suspension handed down. I know you've got to be a fan of the American series. You follow it quite closely, as do I. Uh, 16 months for one failed test of Adderall, which is uh, it's it's an ADHD drug, something that's pushed upon, uh, which is basically uh, suggested to a lot of uh, not even athletes, just uh, uh, either would it be adolescents to adults who suffer from ADHD. ADHD, of course, is uh, hyper uh, attention hyper deficit disorder. Uh, so you're um, it's, this is a fairly run-of-the-mill uh, prescription. Uh, the only thing that really uh, James seemed to have missed here is handing his TUE, which lands him 16, 16 months, uh, which uh, is, in my opinion, uh, a little bit steep. I'd love to get your thoughts on the whole deal. Oh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I'll give you the, you know, the, the negative where James screwed up, what you just said. I mean, he didn't disclose... Um, as far as my knowledge, and I think everybody else in the public eye, you know, why with the amount of people and the good people that he has around him, why was this never, you know, disclosed to, to the FIM or the, in the water or whatever it's called? I mean, if he was taking this thing for a prescription. I mean, I mean, that's, that's okay, but he should have disclosed it. But on the second hand is, is that the, the suspension that they gave him is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, 16 months, I mean, I mean, it's, it, it's insane. It's, it's That's stupid. It hurts. It's way too serious, man. You, yeah. It's way, way too serious. I mean, that, that'd be, it's, it doesn't even make sense to me. I'm frustrated as a fan for the sport because I mean, it, it's such a blow where, and I know that it's not right that he did it because I guess at the end of the day, he, he was cheating quote unquote, but um, I mean, people know James Stewart. People want to watch James Stewart. People love him. He sells uh, tickets. They, he sells tickets. He's exciting. I get excited. I mean, I love Supercross, but after hearing that, it, it really took that edge off for Anaheim One coming up for me anyways, and I'm sure it did a lot of other people. Um, do I think that he should have had no suspension? Absolutely not. There should have been definitely some sort of penalty. I mean, he messed up, and... Um, there needs to be consequences to, that need to be paid to set the tone for, you know, for the future to come. But uh, 16 months is ridiculous. Where they even come up with that, I, I have no idea. 16 months makes them eligible in August of, of this year. I mean, wh- what what the hell happened in August? I mean, that's that's irrelevant to the situation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean personally myself, a fair fine. There, there's a couple ways you could have done it. You could have gave him a three race suspension. You could have gave him a five race suspension going into Supercross, but he still would have been been there, you know, at the races to come. Um, I I think that moving forward he got busted whatever uh you completely take away all his points and all his prize money and this and that from last year and moving forward he's eligible to ride supercross but you test him the guy you, you test him every weekend he's on probation right one yeah one little hiccup and, and he's out then he's out for a year you know what i mean that's that would be a second warning but I mean, for a first offense, I mean, uh, it's, that's crazy, man. I, 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 don't, I don't know where they got that from, and it, it's a sport killer. And I saw he put on Instagram today that he's not going to retire and stuff, but I find it hard to believe that James is going to be able to keep himself motivated 
Yeah, to with come no back racing. The be, guy just loves racing. With, That's what his deal is. Exactly. And to become and to come back in 2016 and be a contender for Supercross, I mean that that's just not realistic in my my mind. I mean he's on his last last year. He'll be 29 years, years old. Exactly, and he, he he's on his you know I, even though he's still not that old, but he's on his way out. Yeah. Oh, for sure. He's in the twilight of his days. And in my opinion, like, yeah, 16 months, I don't know where they got that number from. I think maybe they're over in Europe. Uh, big uh, Darts are big. Maybe they threw, threw a, a, a dart <laughs> at the dartboard. It came up 16. They thought that's a nice round number. We'll go with 16. Um, yeah. You said that comes around to August of this year, probably just on the backside of the Nationals uh, being completed. So, like, it basically yeah. it ruins this whole year. Uh, in my opinion, yeah. over the... We're talking, I'm not talking millions of dollars that uh, James Stewart has made contribution to this sport on a world stage. It's probably good good portion of over a billion dollars of revenue that has been created through uh, motorcycle sales, gear sales, uh, um, you name it, over a 10-year or a 12-year career. I don't think that's uh, uh, off-base whatsoever. And a guy who has been a fan favorite, who has battled through injuries, he's ridden hurt, he is all this fun stuff, and I understand, like, even if he did, like, you say, like, he doesn't have ADD, and he, like, he needed a doctor's note that, uh, because Adderall, we all know, there's tons, tons of NCAA and, um, professional football players that get busted for Adderall every single year, there's even students who get busted for it for taking it during exam time, because, as a, a, a collegiate level football player, I know uh, there's a lot of kids who would uh, would take Adderall before a game, and they would describe their that effect on them as the most. Uh, it's just tunnel vision. You're able to focus on whatever it is you need to focus on. That's what you're thinking about. You're not thinking about anything else. It's uh, the blinders are on, and it really helps. Even yeah, if he was sure. doing that, even if he was doing that. It's not grounds for a 16-month uh, um, suspension. Uh, there are countless football players this year who, uh, like two games, three games into the season, were busted on the uh, the banned substances. And guys like Alden Smith, uh, guys uh-huh. like uh, Josh Gordon of of the Browns. They're back. They're playing football again within the season, which, uh, if you're not familiar, is a 17-week season, uh, not a 17-month exactly. season, a 16-month se- or 16-week season. And those guys are back playing football again, uh, back in their uniforms. And uh, they, the like, those guys sell tickets. So does James Stewart, and I feel like his contribution to motocross is a huge slap in the face uh, to not let him do his thing. You there? Yeah, yeah, sorry, I lost you there for a second. No worries, yeah, I just, I think it's a big slap in the face to not let him um, basically try and rebuild his brand because this is like, the worst part about this is that he left us almost like six months ago. We haven't heard from him. We want to hear, we want to like build him back up again. Like shortly after he went on 252 strokes, he like had a terrible year and everyone booed him yep. and this, that, and the other thing. He had to rebuild himself up until the 2008 season. And then he had the whole Bubba's world thing and kind of the roller coaster went back down. <laughs> yeah. This doesn't allow him to rebrand himself whatsoever. And in a lot of ways, I feel like people are going to forget him about him a little bit because in 2009, do you remember anyone talking about Ricky Carmichael? Mm, not a lot, no. No, because he he the the greatest racer of all time retired not 
two years before that. So exactly. So I like I just uh, I I think it's a um, it's a suspension that should be reviewed uh, if if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I agree. And like I said, I feel like that I feel like that letter that the AMA put out was you know was an awesome awesome letter, but it's a little bit too too late. I mean, this thing drug on for so long. I mean, I mean, why did it take, why did they have to announce it in December? I mean, like, I mean, obviously they had the test results from April of last year. Like how long does it take to make a decision? I mean, it's, it's stupid. It, uh, there's nothing else you can say. It's stupid and it's not fair to the sport. It's not fair to James. It's not fair to his, his team. It's not fair to his fans. And it's not fair to any, any of us guys that are watching Supercross. Absolutely. Now, yep. glad that uh, you're able to uh, um, give us some insight on that. Before I let you go, just so I know, uh, do, do I still have a few more minutes with you? Yeah, yeah, a couple more minutes for sure. Perfect. Your your fiance said I have you all night. I won't take that much because <laughs> I know you probably want to eat dinner. It's uh, getting around seven thirty. I hope you've had something to eat yet. If not, I'll let you get to it right away. But uh, for sure. your nickname is the Noof. Yep. You are from Nova Scotia. Yep. How did that happen? Yeah, kind of, uh, there is a story behind it. Um, back in uh, two, 1999, my first year doing the Nationals, uh, I met a guy by the name of Ron Ashley. Ron Ashley was the owner-manager of Two Wheel Motorsports, which obviously had a team with Blair Morgan and Doug DeHaan. And uh, Ron took the liking to me and took me under his wing. And for whatever reason, even though he's from Ontario and he knows the <laughs> you know, the logistics of Canada, he mm-hmm. just started calling, uh, calling me the Newf, and, um, obviously from Newfoundland, which Newfoundland, if anybody's familiar is, uh, it's a 10 hour boat ride from Nova Scotia <laughs> or a two hour flight. So it's a, it's a long ways, man. It's not saying it's not like, uh, yeah. it's not like it's just down, down the road, but it's like Manitoba, yeah, he started calling exactly. Yeah. No, he started calling me the Newf, and it, uh, it literally has stuck ever since. So, I mean, that was, uh, 15 years ago and it's been going 15 years strong. And I mean, even my friends and stuff, they don't call me by Ryan that often. And, uh, even at Atlas Braves, I have customers that call me Newf and stuff like that. So, um, but that's how it all got started. He started it and, uh, I'm not really sure, uh, why, um, he, he knows that I'm obviously not from Newfoundland, but, uh, I guess it sounds better than, uh, Sounds better than Nova. I guess a, a funny story. Uh, back in 2006, when I was doing Supercross, um, I was hanging out with uh, Jason Lawrence quite a bit. And no, I wasn't doing what Jason Lawrence was. That's fine. But uh, he had he had he had Jeff Emick as his riding coach at the time, and so uh, Jason Bad and I would go. Yeah, totally. So, <laughs> uh, but but uh, Jason and I would go riding all the time, and, and Emick would come and stuff. And he he asked me one day. He's like, I, I just don't. I mean, he's from Kansas, okay. And that's where he grew up. He goes, I just don't understand why they call you Newf. You're from Nova Scotia. It doesn't even make sense. They might as well call you Nova. So, I mean, if, if Jeff, em- Jeff Emick from Kansas can, or yeah, Kansas, I think he's from, yeah. um, can figure it out. I would think that, uh, that Ron Ashley from Ontario could have figured it out, but he didn't. And, uh, that's, that's where we stand on it. Yeah. We should just call it, since you've been a world, like you're a mad, a Canadian traveler, we should just call you the Canuck. Oh, there you go. That's easy, <laughs> but it's not gonna. It's not gonna change now. I mean, it's been no. around for too long. Fifteen years going strong. For sure. No, you are the Newf, uh, and uh, I'd like to think that you kind of represent the Maritimes for the most part. And um, 
uh, yeah, I'd say that the Newfoundland is kind of that cornerstone of, of the whole Maritimes. I guess maybe you disagree since you're from that area, but uh, uh, being from a different part of the, the, the nation, I definitely kind of think of the Newfoundland as being... Uh, uh, we, we, we paint you with a broad brush, if is what I'm trying to say, and, uh, and, and you represent them well. Uh, what was it like, the local scene on the East Coast uh, growing up and racing up until the age of uh, 15 when you decided to uh, take, your, uh, take, your, um, take your skills to uh, take your talents to Victoria Beach rather than South Beach? Exactly. No, uh, racing growing up was awesome. I mean, it was, uh, it was very small. Um, you know, we'd get like, uh, you know, 125 to 150, you know, entries on a, on a good weekend. And, you know, that was, that was back in the the early nineties and stuff. And I can remember like pretty much every race growing up. Um, it was fun. I mean, obviously the competition level wasn't super, super high and, you know, but it was cool to, uh, cool to go through the the ranks and the classes and and you know become become a good rider and stuff and it was always fun and then you know in the two 2000s rolled around and i started doing the nationals and stuff and obviously like everything else in canada and the moto industry seemed to to happen is everybody started to get big time and entries started going up and and this and that so i mean we, we grew from 150 entries to nearly 400 entries a couple of years ago from what what i heard and um you know, it's going going strong. There's some good kids coming out of there now. And, um, you know, back in the day when, when I was growing up, it was me and, and Mitch Cook, which I'm sure you uh, you know who Mitch Cook is. I have his um, number plate from the Grunthal um, or uh, the Morden Mudbog uh, in my house today. Number number 38, right? You're correct, sir. There you go. I got fourth that day. I was fourth. He won. I was fourth. We're on the same team. There you go. That's 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 right. So, you guys were both running the Hondas or the Suzukis that that year. Suzukis, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was myself and Mitch Cook uh, growing up. Um, really, you know, we obviously were huge rivals. Which we were friends, but it, we were we were not friends more often than we were friends. And you know, that was just with obviously the little bit of a rivalry going on. And you know, it was a small small place so every time we go to the race it was like who's gonna who's gonna beat who is it gonna be ryan this weekend is it gonna be mitch so you know we grew to hate each other but then you know like each other and off times and stuff like that but uh it was cool man it was good growing up that way and i still enjoy uh i do go home every year uh actually in my hometown which is a real small town uh, we have an arena cross there i believe it's going on seven years now so uh I do get to go home every once in a while and still still ride, uh, do one race at least. But it's changed a lot. I mean, I don't recognize a lot of the faces. I mean, obviously, I'm uh, I'm w- way more known in BC now than I am in, in the Maritimes, which is crazy to believe. And even though I spent uh, most of my life racing racing there, but uh, times change, and you know, uh, it's just it's different now. For sure. Um, who's a, I, I guess you've maybe a little bit removed from it now, so you might not know, but, uh, or a bit in general, who's a blazing fast Maritimer who uh, we may not know about or who uh, never made it uh, out for any other, for any reason? Um, well, there's a, there's a couple actually. One uh, more recent one that, that pops to my mind, uh, Johnny Montez. Yeah. Um, he obviously, he did some nationals and stuff like that, but he was super, super talented. And I mean, he's, He's like uh, five years older than me, so he was he was always uh, you know uh, a step ahead of me growing up. But then once I got into the pro ranks, um, you know obviously that uh, that changed. But uh, Montez was a was an awesome rider. I mean he 
he did have some success at the national scene, not near as much as he, he probably should have. He never had the resources or the, the money to do it. And then uh, going back even before that, uh, another real top guy was uh, Glenn Hoare. Um, he grew up racing in the 80s and 90s. He was actually national number five one year. So he, he did some nationals and stuff. Um, some supercross and whatnot, but just, uh, just a small town, town guy, you know, never wasn't, you know, real loud or anything like that. Yeah. Just, uh, kind of kept to himself, but, uh, there's been some good guys that come out of the Maritimes. For sure. Um, as, as far as like, uh, for any reason why someone doesn't end up going to that next level, I know there's a lot of Manitobans who don't seem to make that next step. I know, uh, uh, you yourself used to work with Ryan Miller. Yeah, he's our basically our crown jewel up until now. And now we got uh, Ryder McNabb. I'm not sure if you've heard of the kid, but yep. uh, he actually spends most of his time down south with uh, Matt Walker. But uh, what what is the the main hindering factor that uh, stops kids, especially in Canada, from making that next step? Because we don't have too many of those uh, 365 facilities. There's a there's a couple things that uh, that pop into my head right away. The the one thing, obviously, is money. Sometimes your family just cannot afford to uh, can, can't afford to do it, and and you know, unfortunately, you know, when you're stuck in a province that you know you, you max out on your competition level, and that's kind of where you stay. Um, another thing, you know, which I think the the biggest thing is is you get too comfortable racing with your with your own surroundings. I mean, if you grow up, say, racing in Manitoba. And you know you're winning, you're winning every weekend at the, you know, your 85, 12, Four 16, and it, yeah, exactly. You're you're killing it, you're killing it every weekend, and then all of a sudden you turn pro, and you haven't been anywhere except Saskatchewan or Manitoba. Maybe you went to Alberta once to race. Now you turn pro, and you get all these expectations from yourself, and then you go and you line up at round one in Kamloops, and you get 25th. Um, yeah. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not very encouraging to keep going. And then you went up to the CMRC trailer and you collected your $25 check for 25th place and your parents spent uh, about, you know, you know, <laughs> how five many thousands to get to of dollars, that race, just to five that grand race. to get to get to that race. And, you know, it becomes discouraging, which when you're discouraged uh, and if you're not mentally tough, you don't train and then you don't yeah. train and then you then you just become slower and then you quit. I mean, it happens all the time. It happens in any sport. I mean, whether totally. it's hockey, uh, football, baseball, any, anything like that, it, it's it's unfortunate. But there's a very, very few, you know, uh, special people that can can excel in in a professional sport at a high level. And it all, you know, comes down to luck and having the opportunity to uh, to succeed and wanting to succeed is the biggest thing. Right on. Well, uh, Ryan Lockhart, the Noof, uh, I want to wrap this up now. Uh, I've kept you much long, uh, longer than I intended, but uh, you know what? We made some solid gold here this evening. Uh, I'm going to have to have you on again because I wanted to run through a few uh, characters that I was hoping to get, maybe some story time or at least your opinion on a few yep. uh, uh, Canadian uh, motocross guys. But nevertheless, uh, we'll wrap it up today and uh, maybe check in again with you uh, later a little bit down the road. But uh, on behalf of the Big MX uh, radio show uh, and myself, Brad Gebhardt, uh, we thank you for taking some time with us this evening to uh, share your passion for motocross and a little bit about the Atlas Brace as well as some uh, some great moto stories. Uh, you have yourself a great evening and uh, all the best to you and your family over the holidays. Yeah, thanks, man. I'd love to catch up. I love telling stories, so uh, make sure you hit me up in the new year, and uh, story time is my best. Perfect, man. We'll, uh, 
we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll uncork that another time. But uh, cheers, cheers for now. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.